Welcome back to another episode of Sketch Nerds, where we break down sketch comedy. What works, what doesn't work, what we like, what we don't like, and why. Today we're going to be discussing sketches from Murder Fist and Dr. Steve Brule from Adult Swim. You can find information about this podcast as well as the sketches we're going to be discussing at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds. Joining me, as always, uh, are Elizabeth E.K. Kemp and Leila Dreese. I'm Seth Alcorn, and today we are happy to have on, as a guest, Shelley Setzer. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> okay, excellent. So um, why don't we talk a little bit about your history with comedy? So uh, how did you how did you get into doing sketch? Yeah, um, kind of a, a long journey. So before I ever even really loved comedy, I was a theater nerd, which mm-hmm. I think kind of happens for a lot of comedy nerds. So I was like back in like third grade and like every play and musical and summer camp. But then I guess it was really in high school where I started to fall in love with comedy, where I would just be, like, mainlining Comedy Central every night while I was trying to finish my homework until, like, 2 or 3 a.m. So I got, like, the weird stuff, too. But it wasn't until, you know, and that well, it developed into college, and that's when I committed myself. I was like, I'm going to do stand-up one day. I've done stand-up once, that's all. <laughs> but you did it. You accomplished your goal. I did. Yeah, okay. I did. In, the, in, the, in 2018, I did one 10-minute uh, stand-up set at uh, Shtick which is a great show, and everyone should go see shtick shows. But I took my first improv class in January 2015 after reading Amy Poehler's book, uh, Yes, Please. And I was like, I need to be doing this. I was, like, in my first job out of college, and I was like, there's got to be something more. (laughs) Um, So I I signed up, and I did – I took beginning improv with Sean Westfall, the DC Improv. I took about four classes there, then I hopped over to WIT, and I finished out the WIT curriculum, and then I hopped over to Dojo, and I took several classes there and uh, started running with our hot-burning but short-lived indie improv team, Mortipus, which was a great time. And then in 2017, uh, Murphy asked if I wanted to play in for Brick Penguin's Best Of show, and they were just doing a collection of their best stuff from the past. At that point, it was like seven years. And then after that, I guess they liked me enough. And I uh, joined Brick Penguin, and I've been doing that ever since. And that's how I got into Sketch. <laughs> I <right>. love it. <laughs> Excellent. I like that you um, you went, well, you went through improv eventually to get to Sketch, which is how I think most of, our, most of the folks that we have on the show seem to come to it. No, that's not... <laughs> oh no, no! I agree with you. That is how most people get to our group. Yes. <laughs> well, so I kind of like missed a part. Like I did so through. It, I mean, it was through improv, but through improv, I met someone else that really wanted to write, and like she kind of encouraged me. And you guys have actually had her as a guest on the show, Stephanie Kozakowski. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was like, "Let's write stuff," and I was like, "Yeah." So she was like my first writing partner, and we did that for a little while. And she's she scheduled a show for us to do, and I wrote my first sketch. That was probably pretty bad, but it was fun. Um, but we put up a show at the Pinch, and it was just like a short little thing. But she got me to do that, and that. Felt pretty good. And yeah, and then I guess I, other stuff happened. <laughs> Out of curiosity, what was your first sketch? Um, I think I called it Netflix and Kill. Mm, okay. And no, I'm in. I'm in. Got me with the title. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, mm-hmm. it was about 
a, a woman like hanging out with a guy watching Netflix and she keeps wanting to like, you know, get romantic with him, but while watching like the most disturbing content. So like putting on Law and Order SVU and being like, oh yeah, baby, like get over here. He's like, um, they're they're talking about like children getting murdered. Can we maybe not right now? Yeah. And I just mean, kind of escalating. Was it, was it with the Christopher Maloney episodes? Because that I could <gasps> Right. So this I mean, is, I get it. This was based on a real Talk more about that, EK. <laughs> Have you seen Christopher? I mean, like, I was just like, oh, it's a shame about those kids. But I, hey. I agree. How I mean, are you doing? I'm there Still, for Shame about the too. kid. Shame about the kid. But hey. <laughs> yeah. I, um, yeah. I, I was like trying to make out with my boyfriend while watching SVU. And he's like, I'm really not into this right now. <laughs> I was like, why? Who cares? That's sign of healthy boundaries and a good emotionally intelligent person, I think. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah but you can always it's put only, the TV on mute or turn it off. It's also only inspired yeah. by true events, you right. know? Right, right. Not real, but... Just very close to real. Yes. <laughs> what I like is that we're learning a lot about where people want to draw lines today yeah. on, on Sketchers. <laughs> I think that's pretty good. Introducing our first sketch today is Shelly. All right. So I want to thank uh, my Brick Penguin teammates for uh, introducing me to this sketch and to Murder Fist. So the sketch I brought today is called The Dollmaker. I already mentioned it's by sketch comedy group Murder Fist. Uh, so a little background on Murder Fist. They first formed at Florida State University, uh, and then they moved up to New York, and they started performing a brand new sketch comedy show every month at the pit. Uh, and that ran for 10 years, and they did a big, like, blowout 10-year anniversary show. Murder Fist was famous for their kind of wild, high-energy live shows uh, and their kind of inclination for exploring the weird and dark, which I love. The Dollmaker was directed by Adam Wirtz, and it stars, stars Ed Larson, Holden McNeely, Walter Replogle, and Henry Zabrowski. And this is a sketch that is just... Kind of the type of people you might encounter if you're trying to find a, a very rare doll. All right, with that, let's cut to a clip. So we're moving around the hospice, and we lost one of our boxes. And in that box was a scuba diving Harriet Tubman doll. I don't know why she had a hell. I don't even know why they made it. You know, I just know I got to get another one that looks like it. So she's got something to hold when she dies, because I'm not going to be there. Peruse my goods, if you will. You're one good. I will look at it, sure. Criminal, the live boy puppet, come to your law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That couldn't be at least like the puppet I'm looking for. No, no, listen to his song. Ding, 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 ding. I am made of magic. Ding, 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 ding. I will kill you in your sleep. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So, let's talk about this sketch. All right. Actually, EK, I'm going to start with you as a director. There's uh, all of the horror film tropes are here. There's the music. There's the lighting. Uh, it's in a dank basement. There's a creepy voice doll. So how do you turn something that is or rather should be scary, creepy into something that's funny? I think you make all the jokes not about that stuff. You set all that stuff up and you have the expectation immediately that those are somehow going to play into it. But what they chose to do is go, it's a its a contrast, right? The f whole first half of the sketch has nothing to do with the fact that they're in a basement and it's about him interrupting a customer. It's completely unrelated to the fact that this man 
is a super creepy doll maker living in a basement who makes magic gay sex dolls for people who apparently also think it's totally normal to go shopping for dolls in creepy basements. So it's it's just playing with expectations, I think, and and using that to just highlight how different the sketch is from what it could have been. I, I like that perspective. I mean, just the idea that how, how different something is uh, from what it could have been. I think that's a really good way to put it. I'm a very smart person sometimes, so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no one can argue with that at all. Yeah, well, I'm, I mean, yeah, comedy and horror, I feel like, go hand in hand uh, a lot. And, I mean, some of the, like, there's hysterical comedy horror uh, movies out there, and it's, I think, a long trope, so it works for me. Yeah, and it's it's sort of also a truism that bad horror becomes comedic. If you start mm-hmm. out to do a horror movie and you just fail, then it instantly becomes a comedy. Uh, yeah. I think it also helps that it starts with him fondling his butthole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It yeah, creates a pretty disarming situation. It. It was, for the viewer, at least. <laughs> yep. That was interesting. I honestly thought that might have been uh, ritual fondling. Like he was down in his, his space in the basement and he was about to... Summon something by grabbing and playing with his ass, but um, that that never materialized. I do like how it, when he like when the guy, the customer starts talking to him, he doesn't stop either, fondling his butthole. <laughs> Is that what he's doing? It's it's like a finger. Everyone needs to visually watch this sketch. Yeah, yeah, I know he's doing the weird hand stuff. It's like a finger roll over both butt cheeks to the point where you feel like he might be spreading them. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Imagine an ant using its like front antenna to like dig a hole. <laughs> Imagine a baker kneading a ball of dough. <laughs> gotcha. In midair. In midair. Yes. That's the important thing. Yes. All right. Let's talk some more about this sketch. How about that? All right. So this is a this is a strong character sketch. Uh, what are Henry Zabrowski, who who plays a doll maker, and Walter Replogle, who plays a puppet, doing to make their characters work? Well, so I, I I love Henry Zabrowski. He's been in a bunch of stuff since his Murderfist days, and he is just like a hundred and fifty percent the whole time in this sketch, and doing like weird, unexpected things. One of my favorite parts, it's like the second time the puppet sings the song, he's like clapping, but like slightly faster than <laughs> the act. Yeah. yeah, he's like <laughs> clapping off beat. He's like a little bit like anticipating it. Or one of my favorite parts is at the end when he goes, I fucking hate the bank. And he just dribbles <laughs> down <laughs> his, like it's just spittle. It's just captivating. It's like you can't take your eyes off of him. And even in a video format, I feel like that energy is just like it just jumps off the screen at you. Yeah, definitely live too. If you've if you've ever seen him live, they are he is sweaty by the yeah. end. Yeah. <laughs> um there's a sketch. So he was he did one of the um uh he had a segment on uh, Netflix, the characters. Mm. And there's a portion of that where he shows up in the middle of a restaurant naked and just cupping his junk. They used to do that live. There was like a murder fist sketch. Were you talking about that earlier, EK? uh, We were. He did that in the... uh, Yeah, we saw them at New York York Sketch Fest. Yeah, and he he specifically stripped down to his underwear? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The version that I have seen, (laughs) he is... is, 
completely naked, cupping his junk, running around stage. <laughs> yeah. He also, I'm going to go back to the finger play. Yeah. <laughs> that <he's laughs> That's doing. what we're calling like, it. <laughs> they don't actually show it in the sketch, but he, the, the customer remarks on like his speed at like crossing the basement. And then as soon as he gets to the other side, he's doing this like really fidgety, creepy thing with his hands or like up close to his face and his shoulders are up and his eyes are like squinty and really intense. Yeah. He's sort know. of got uh, like the body posture of a Peter Laurie character. If anybody remembers Peter, he yeah. was he was this guy in all of the black and white movies in the thirties, you know. So yeah, yeah. We yeah. sort of um, what's oh, this is Gollum. Gollum. Oh yeah, mm, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm Definitely. going for. Yeah, he's got a Gollum. He's like more a vertical, but barely. Would yeah. you like to buy a doll? That's a really bad Gollum. I'm sorry. I, that out. <laughs> I I enjoyed uh, in actually the first half of the sketch where he's got the creepy doll maker intensity. But all he's doing is being incredibly socially awkward. Mm-hmm. That which was it's like he's just being the worst salesman slash customer service person in the world. But with the vocal quality and again, sort of intensity of presence that you would expect from a Satanist in uh, <laughs> in, in a Satanist movie that's about to summon something. Right. It was it was, and that was sort of genius. I thought. Would you say there's any format to the sketch, or is it just like absurdist? I- I don't see a format. I mean, there's no, like, tradi- you know, it's not, I mean, yeah, I mean, no, and it's just kind of like a straight man, funny man, like. And there's, like, multiple segments. Like, I feel like you could break it out into, like, the, the first third and then the whole interrupting bit and then, like, the doll bit. Yeah, well, that that's part of why I, I love this sketch and why I brought it is because it it's kind of, like, transcends, like, a typical format mm-hmm. and there's just so, it's so joke-dense throughout it and it's jokes like EK was saying not related necessarily to like the doll it's just like random stuff it's the never interrupt a fat customer like (laughs) random things like that the candy and bottle caps that come back at the end it's like oh we only accept candy and bottle caps oh I've got them I've got plenty of candy and bottle caps like it's all these like weird Small jokes, even like the like the type of doll that he's looking for, mm-hmm. a, a scuba diving Harriet, Harriet Tubman doll. Yeah, yeah, I don't know why they made it. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's just quick and joke dense, and but the whole thing kind of like serves this weird, crazy sketch. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. What about the um, like uh, I don't know if it's like a some kind of vocal synthesizer that they use. For yeah. the doll yeah, voice. for the doll. And I mean, we, I, I asked about him back at the be, the beginning of this question, like what choices is he making? And obviously I don't know whether it was him or whether it was a whole group, but to do the creepy doll synthesized voice was also, yeah, also good. I love that. I think it yeah. works. And well, and so like Walter's bringing like so much like physicality to it and like the makeup is great. Oh, like yeah. with yeah. the makeup, with the green lighting, like mm-hmm. it really, and it seems simple enough and it comes together really well. But he's like very like stiff and he does a lot of jaw movements Mm -hmm. that are really creepy and makes him look wooden. And yeah, like his physical, and he's got a little bit of a hunch too, like just like Henry. Um, Is that because the basement's like the ceiling? (laughs) Yeah, the ceiling was very low. (laughs) Ed Larson's head is like grazing the ceiling. Uh, but Henry, Henry's a lot shorter than Ed, mm. so. Um, yeah, and there there was that one moment where he turned his he had to turn his head and he did it very slowly, like more slowly than a human would be able to do. Yeah, right. That kind of thing. Uh, what was I going? Oh, right. Uh, to to uh, touch back on the um, structure, the format of the sketch. 
I would honestly say it's an inverted shopping sketch because most of the time in some sort of shopping sketch, you've got the customer who really, really wants something and the proprietor slash customer service person who is not going to give it to them. Mm -hmm. And in this, you've got a customer who's lukewarm to begin with and then is just, no, no, I don't want this. No, I don't want this at all. And the shopkeeper who who doesn't understand why. So that would, if if anything, but it really is just more about things are really weird down here in the mm -hmm. basement. I, I don't know. So, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead, EK. I mean, he definitely wants the doll. I mean, yeah. part, part of what's so delightfully weird about this sketch is that the hunt for this doll and the fact that there happened to be five doll makers within walking distance of each other on this block and it's just totally normal that he's out there hunting for this like he does not seem phased at all when he goes down there so like he definitely wants the doll and then I think he's disappointed when he only has the one doll in the basement and then it just becomes a dynamic them of of Zabrowski trying very hard to sell him this one doll, like finding different ways to pitch it to him. So I don't know that there's like that. It's like a mutual desire. They, it's both. It's there for both of them. I think. Yeah. Well, and it's a great justification for him to continue to stay in that shop. Like that's one thing when I'm writing sketches. Like a question that we often ask ourselves is. Well, why is this person doing that? Like, what's yeah. the logic? Why, why would they keep talking to, to this person? <laughs> yeah. Well, he wants this doll for his dying grandma. Like, yeah. that's his justification. And then it's even fun, like the part when he's like, oh, like, well, how do you awaken a wooden boy puppet? Why did I even ask that? <laughs> I'm so glad you asked that. Like, just pushing the sketch forward, getting to the, the next beats, like exploring kind of more aspects of it. Yeah. And um, speaking of, like, a little while ago, you mentioned joke density about mm -hmm. one of the reasons that you like the sketch. And the um, the candy and bottle caps thing we keep referencing, that's like four joke lines in a row, if I remember right. It's, I only take candy and bottle caps. Great, I've got candy and bottle caps in my car. I carry them in my pocket, but they usually scratch my thigh. Uh, and then, like, uh, something about... It must be a real pain when you go to the bank. real pain when you go to the bank. It's a nightmare when yeah. you go to the bank. I fucking hate the bank. Like, just that whole... <laughs> that whole bit, which has absolutely nothing to do with any of the mm -hmm. sketch, any of the rest of the sketch, but is I, I think one of the most one of the most successful parts of the sketch. It Just makes me laugh every time I <laughs> yeah. watch it, and I've watched it so many times. And I have to wonder, like in our writers' room, like would something like that get like cut because it has nothing to do with the sketch? We tend that is the way we tend to write we tend to cut down stuff that is beside the point but occasionally you do you do miss some things mm -hmm. um oh, sorry okay oh no i mean i i the difference here is that it's really well written mm -hmm. which ah, i think yes. is often <laughs> which is, which the is problem. Often why we cut irrelevant bits in our sketches is just because they're bad well, so. like, that, we, that's a that's could, a self-burn you know. for those of you following along at home if we could uh like deliver with the same intensity right yeah. if the character work was that strong would those jokes be better i guess it's bringing well, this back to our writer's room what's interesting about that what's interesting interesting about the character intensity is that it's it's all on one side it's the mm -hmm. doll and the shopkeeper the guy who plays the customer did what's ed larson ed larson has pretty much the same amount of emotional involvement in everything he says, which is kind of great for what's happening in this sketch. I love him in this sketch. Yeah. Well, I think except he's for his so last good. line. Except for, yeah, except for his last line when he does a take to the camera and says in a really creepy fashion, I promise 
and then <laughs> which is which is the actually the only real sinister super creepy moment yeah. in the whole thing like he is actually the villain in the sketch it's and, great and to provide some contrast the doll literally says in his first singing moment i will kill you in your yeah. sleep so that is but it doesn't feel creepy because you're in, <laughs> like you're laughing you're the joke is so immediately apparent but like yeah. they're like they're sweet as bizarre as they are those are two very earnest sweet characters <laughs> in a very twisted way but then the the guy who's looking for the doll like he's the one who's lying and you know ultimately like playing uh, with them playing with them i would yeah. say that their earnestness doesn't come out until the end when he abandons them at the end of the sketch my heart was like oh yeah but then all before that i was like Yikes. <laughs> yeah but then it's just here's this guy who wants to help out his friend slash creation yep. and he doesn't know how to do it because he's really socially awkward and his friend slash creation is a gay magic doll who doesn't really know how to connect to people. Don't we all have that friend, though? You know? No. No. Okay, sorry. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe to help, help each other I out. like that the gay magic doll line is a joke. Like, it's not like it's part of this person's, the doll's introduction. It's just like that button line at the end <laughs> just gets me every time. I don't know how this gay puppet doll shit works. <laughs> I really it's a nice way to end the sketch because I, I like when I watch it, I'm always like, "How else would you end this?" And I, I don't know. I, I like the way I love this whole sketch. So I'm like, and I guess it is like kind of like a button line. I mean, in the sketch, it goes on. Someone else yeah. picks up the paper, like, "Ooh, like, what, like what?" And you can imagine what is this guy's interaction going to be with the same thing? Does the same thing play out multiple times a day? Like, how many people does this doll maker see in a day? That's kind of fun to imagine. How many people promise candy and bottle caps in their trunk and then never return? <laughs> oh. yeah, Shelly, I'm actually uh, I'm actually glad you asked that question because uh, to sort of wrap up our thoughts on this sketch, is there anything that anyone would change about it? Anything that you think doesn't work? Anything that you would swap out with something that might make things a little bit smoother? No, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> I, mean, I, actually, I don't know. No, I have to agree. <laughs> like, I, I watched this sketch at home and then uh, watched it again with EK, and I can't think of anything that I would change about this sketch. I think the second song, after that, it starts to feel like it should be ending soon. And I think the song is still necessary because it brings a second joke that, again, like, humanizes the... It makes, it makes that song silly instead of just creepy. But I think that's, like, as soon as that second song went on, I, like, brought my um, mouse down to the uh, timer thing yeah. to see how much of it was left. Yeah, and then mm. it picks back up. It's so <laughs> funny, and the candy and bottle caps. And, yeah, um, I'm very curious, like, how this sketch would have worked on stage mm -hmm. um, versus, like, produced for a video. I think it's a very well-produced video. I think all of the elements come together really well, um, the, adding the music at the right time, like fading in and fading out. And like I said, the lighting. Yeah. I mean, like that was like my one thing. I was like, how, you know, like how else could you end this sketch? But the more I think about it, the more I really like it. Cause I just trust it. Like you see someone else pick up the sign and you're like, oh my God, this could happen again. The stall maker sees these people over and over again. Yeah. I don't know. All right. I got a weird thought. I know I said we were going to end on the other thing, but no, I got a weird yeah. thought now. Does he have to be a doll maker? Could he be something else and just happen to have the doll? Would it, in fact, add another layer if he were, say, a painter and just happened to have this doll sitting around? 
Then why would the guy come to the basement? Oh, <laughs> doll. There's a sign that says doll for sale. The, the same way they get the guy at the end of the sketch. Oh, but then you don't. Hey. But he does say, like, I come from a family of doll makers and all my siblings have died. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I yeah. saw five other guys just like you. I was like, <laughs> uh, yeah. oh, my brothers are dead. <laughs> you must have been talking to their ghosts. <laughs> Which got no reaction. That was actually my favorite part of the sketch. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. This podcast is brought to you by the sketch comedy troupe Bad Medicine, DC's best sketch comedy about the worst of humanity. Visit badmedicinecomedy.com for info about live shows, workshops, t-shirts, for people who love comedy. And introducing our next sketch is Layla. Hi. So I chose uh, Check It Out um, with Dr. Steve Brule because I just think that whole series is very funny. Um, it's a spinoff of The Tim and Eric Show, which we've had on this show before. We've talked about on the show before that got mixed reviews. It's absurdist comedy, generally. The specific episode I aired is called Ugly Test, and then it's... Um, I guess there's a part two called Makeover, and it aired in 2010, and the show is um, late night on Cartoon Network on Adult Swim. All right, let's cut to a clip. My guest, Cynthia Dangus, is registered by the United States Department of Beauty for a beauty expert. Cynthia, how do I can tell if I'm ugly or handsome? What this computer does is scientifically determine whether you are handsome or ugly. This little number. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like an Easter basket. <laughs> but it's not. It's not an Easter basket. You could hide a chocolate egg in there. I don't know how you could get prettier. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> so. Wait, before you say anything, I just want to say I love Tim and Eric. And we need to get that on the table. <laughs> Since it was brought up that it was met with some criticism. Uh, I should mention that I am one of those who criticized it. So <laughs> EK and I are going to siskel and ebert this Ooh, a little I'm bit excited. later on. Okay, so... Let um, me, I don't think I described the episode. Should I describe the episode? Okay, okay yeah. so in this episode, it features John C. Riley and Maria Bamford. And John C. Riley is talking to Maria Bamford, who is, a, I guess, a beauty specialist. And she's created a machine that tests um, how ugly you are. And John C. Riley is asking her about it, uh, about this machine that she's created. And she is going to run the test on John C. Riley. So that's where we are in the setup. Layla, let me ask this. Why did you bring us this sketch? So I was um, YouTubing. Okay. And right. a dangerous pastime. Yeah. <laughs> I was on and, the uh, I remember being in uh, my friend's house in Seattle, and she was like, "Have you seen this series?" And I said, "No." And I laid on the floor for like two hours just watching it and, and just giggling at it because it was so simple and so as like kind of sweet. This character, the Steve Brew, Steve Brew character. And it just made me feel like, I don't know, like it wasn't like a cynical show. It's not like making fun of anybody in particular. It's kind of making fun of John C. Riley's character a little bit. But yeah, so I just, it called to me. What is the editing and show format adding to the sketch? And Shelly, I'll toss this one your way. As, a, as an actor, how would Ooh. that editing and show format help you to get uh, get the point of a sketch across? Editing and show format. Well, I... 
I mean, I love, and Layla, I'd love to hear, because since you've watched, like, more varieties of this, it, it's the whole, like, set design. It's supposed to be, like, 90s. Yeah. Like weird it's 90s like nineties public access cable. TV. Yeah, 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 public yeah. access TV show. So I think that really works for it. I find that very fun and funny. I mean, I find the editing like like right because like there's the break, so there's like the two parts to this, and you kind of have to get back into it. And I can so another thing I should mention was um, that the show is completely improvised. Oh, what? Yeah, sorry, <laughs> there should have been up and up front. Okay, so well, all right, they they film like. Enough footage for a 30-minute show when they do these, like, 11-minute pieces. And then they choose, like, the best of from those pieces. So a lot of the editing is just, like, sifting through hours and hours of footage of John C. Riley doing whatever the hell he wants to do on camera to get this, like, improvised show I, that I, they turn into a sketch. There is a part where they do, like, a hard cut, I think. So part of the thing going on in the sketch is that Dr. Brule like keeps commenting on how beautiful Maria Bamford's character is. And she's like, no. Nah. Uh, he and, he actually goes in for a kiss, I think, yeah. two or three times. Yeah. yeah. I, there's one part where I think it's like there's a hard edit after that, <laughs> and it's very funny. And that really works to serve the comedic effect of it. It like cuts her, I think, like mm -hmm. her protest off. And it's it's that worked for me. The whole setup for me has always been this sort of, this obviously amateurish person trying to put on airs of being very professional and having all this expertise or being able to provide that and the whole style of it the weird jump cuts the the deliberately bad editing or maybe what you're led to believe he thinks is good editing for his show kind of reinforces that it's but actually to Layla's point that sort of an a component of the sweetness is that there's an earnestness in it but it just so happens to add to the comedic value because you the jump cuts do cut off seemingly big jokes and then linger too long on the awkward silences. And <laughs> like anyone else would have cut that, but no, he's just staring off into space. Yeah, I, I feel like there's a part where he like turns his head really slowly <laughs> to like look into the camera, just really weird like movements. It, it's... Yeah, he it's does fun. this. When, so Maria Bamford does does the ugly test on him, and then the second part is the makeover, and the shot opens with John C. Riley's back facing the camera, and then he slowly turns around in his chair to reveal his makeover. And one of the parts that made me start to howl was he does this like incredibly slow eye flare as he's turning to the camera <laughs> and exposing his horrifically decorated face. <laughs> Decorate's a good word. Decorated. <laughs> um, so it's like those really small moments. Uh, and I read this interview with John C. Riley where he talks about like this the silliness of the character and like I have some notes here. He so the whole the whole idea behind this character, which I think he, like he could easily be made fun of, but he's just like this really heartfelt guy um, who's trying his best, and he like pronounces everything wrong. He pronounces all of his guests' names wrong. Mm -hmm. He pronounces the name of his mom wrong. Um, <laughs> I forgot where I was going with this. Well, but. that's something in the edit too. They always make sure to bring up the guest's name every time he mispronounces it. So you're like reminded that he's messing it up horribly. <laughs> and he mispronounces Cynthia Driscoll in like three, four different ways. Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 Syndrome. Certainly burn. And then she kind of like gives a look to the camera that she's really upset. 
And this is one of the few episodes where he's interviewing a comedian and not an actual professional. So in the other episodes, like there's one where he goes to visit an observatory and he's talking to a scientist about different telescopes. And generally, like the reaction of the professional is they don't really, they're not in on the joke. Um, so they're just kind of like acting naturally. So this episode is kind of like a, a, a I don't know if it's a one-off exactly, but typically he's, he's interviewing professionals their field. I wonder actually how <laughs> how uncomfortable it is for people who aren't actors uh, and professionals who I imagine are in this kind of situation where they're talking to somebody who has no idea what they're talking about frequently. I wonder how they dealt with that. I mean, I think they kind of embrace it in okay. some ways. Like they're never like, well, I don't know if they're never, I haven't seen all the episodes, like super but critical. But Layla, I know, I research. Seen all of them. <laughs> but like in the one I was talking about with the, when he goes to the observatory, like John C. Riley like takes this guy's hand as they like walk out of the room <laughs> and you can see that there's like a hesitance, but he like goes with it. Um, and I think it's similar to um, Sasha, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen. Sasha mm -hmm. Baron Cohen, yeah. Um, and when he does those kinds of sketches, it's like the same idea. Well, yeah, but I would, I would argue that in, in his stuff, he he is actually trying to make fun of the people he's interviewing. And in the Steve Brule stuff, they're really just trying to make fun of Steve Brule. Yeah. I guess it's Steve Brule interviewing. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he's trying to make fun of himself as much as just be like kind of a kooky guy. And see how people react to that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always like mixed about stuff like uh, comedians kind of like working with real people. And I personally, like, we all know what it feels like to not be in on a joke. And that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and it, there, a lot of people find that stuff really funny. I personally get real, like, anxious. Like, I don't want to do that kind of, like, man-on-the-street stuff that might put someone in a situation. And maybe that's part of my improv background where you're taught, like, you, like, you and your scene partner need to be – on the same page. You both need to know what the game of the scene is so that you can move forward. You're yeah. all in on the joke. You both know what the funny thing is and then you, you work as a happy team. Yay. But I admit that there's some fun to be had. And especially if it's in a, and because it doesn't seem mean spirit. Like I haven't watched any of the other ones, but I can't imagine he'd be like mean spiritedly like trying to get at people. Like I, Steve Brule? Yeah, Steve Brule. No, yeah. and that's like, the thing is, it's kind of like, is that person he's interviewing accepting him or are they rejecting him? Yeah. And I think in Maria Bamford's case, she's clearly rejecting him. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's part of the joke. Yeah. Since we've been sort of dancing around a little bit, uh, when creating a character like Dr. Steve Brule, is it better to base the character on a real person or a stereotype? And I will throw this out to everybody at the table. So in that same interview, he talks about this character being spontaneously created. He had done... Like Athena from Zeus's brow. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> yes, exactly like that. Um, he kind of describes like uh, his relationship with Tim and Eric and where this character came from or like how it came about. Um, and I can't quite remember the connection, but he said that he just like got on camera and started talking in a voice and then that became the character. So to your question... I don't think it was based off of anything in particular, at least in John C. Riley's head. So just a, a random notion that he had that ended up working and mm -hmm. getting turned into Dr. Steve Brule. All yeah. right. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. I was going to say, I feel like neither. You don't want your characters to be stereotypes. 
nor I mean like obviously we all draw inspiration from the people in our lives and that's like in in one of my improv 101 classes like they would tell you like think of someone you know and like do a bigger version of that but like hopefully all of our characters are more original than a stereotype like you want to be producing something that's interesting that people haven't seen before and yeah I think sometimes the best way to like get to a character is doing a weird voice and then it just rolls into something or a weird physicality and then you slowly start to build up this character that came from yeah like kind of out of nowhere and that I think serves to create the most interesting characters that you see. And he also talked about how he loves this character because, like, he'll watch himself on big screen movies. And he said, uh, I can tell when I'm faking it. <laughs> and when I'm watching Steve Brule, I know it's all coming from, like, a very authentic place. Um, okay. So I thought <laughs> that was really interesting, too. Interesting to know, um, But yeah. going back to Shelley's point about the physicality, like, he's got this, like, he kind of talks out of the side of his mouth and he's like a heavy breather and he's kind of like slumped <laughs> over. Slow. Yeah. And he's like he's always really... pushing his glasses up his nose and like kind of giving this doofy smile. I love the hair bounce he does with it. Where it's all like he's like when he does the hard, he's making deliberate choices about when to move his head really quickly or when to go slowly and kind of like wobble a little bit. <laughs> um, my favorite thing in this sketch is right at the beginning when he's like doing the direct to camera stuff and he tries like two times to put his hand on a ledge <laughs> and he misses it both times because he's like looking off and it is just hysterical. Like I yeah. can't, it's just so funny to watch him be weird and Navigate his space. Yeah. Yeah. There are multiple times where he's, even when he like tries to get up to kiss Maria Bamford, like while she's mid sentence, like it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like not only is it like gross and upsetting, but like the way he does it doesn't make any sense. And he just like kind of slumps and like, like falls towards her. Um, so just he, watch he just couldn't do. be any prettier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on a scale of one to 10, I'd say from a one to a three, <laughs> three being the best. So. Oh, God. <laughs> um. Speaking of Maria Bamford's character in this, getting back to Cynthia Driscoll, I'm actually, uh, do we think she's a straight man in this? No, and, she's just as wackadoo. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah. Is she wackadoo or is she just well, responding, let's, let's, honestly? It's, it's, hard, it's hard knowing what kind of comedy Maria Bamford does. <laughs> like seeing her in this role versus what you know Maria Bamford is like during her stand-up, which is that like really pretty far out there. I'm sort of biased, so relative to that, she's the straight man. If I were to come to this sketch not knowing who Maria Bamford was, would I think there's more to her character than that? Absolutely. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, I I I do too. I think I think it's uh, actually kind of like what you said relative to Steve Brule, she's the straight man. Yeah, she serves as the straight man in the sketch. But she gets to do a bunch of stuff that typical straight man characters usually don't get yeah. to do. Like she gets to screech at Steve Brule every now and again. Well, I feel like straight men in sketches a lot of times do get to like be, they're reacting to something and you can see them get real big or get real angry or mm. exasperated. I feel like that's often the role of a oh, straight yeah. man is yeah. just exasperation Being at whatever or person or yeah. scenario is pressed upon them. Uh, and that's kind of like where she is in this. Mm -hmm. I do think it's funny though, don't, like he says she, she's from like the U.S. Department 
of, of beauty. beauty. That yeah. might have been my favorite joke. The U.S. Department of Beauty. Got Department of Agriculture, Department of Energy, Department of Beauty. It's right one of the there. three that Rick Perry was going to get rid of, I think. <laughs> but I think she actually has the best, for me, it was the best joke in the sketch. When he says, it looks like an Easter basket, and then, and then they go to her, and she says, but it's not, though. It's not an Easter basket. And she's looking directly into yeah. the camera. It's yeah. very serious. Like, I want <laughs> you to understand with absolute clarity that this is not an Easter basket. I See, I love, I think this ties into the Dollmaker a little bit, too, like, about having, like, a grounded straight man in a sketch. I think people are always like, oh, you know, I want to be the zany character. If you don't have a good straight man to play off of, the zaniness doesn't matter. You need someone to be grounded. You need someone that the audience can connect with and identify with. And you can have a lot of fun. I think some of like the best laugh lines can come from like the, you know, traditional straight man in a sketch reacting to the insanity. Or like when she's trying to put the, what are those things called? The little circles? Heart rate. Oh, yeah, the EKG things, whatever they are. Yeah, the sensors, whatever. On his problem area. That's like a great line. Yeah. Just real quick, I guess, before we stop, Groucho Marx used to say that Margaret Dumond, who was the high society woman in like most of the Marx Brothers movies or a good chunk of the Marx Brothers movies, was the funniest one there. Because without her, they don't have any context in which to be weird. It's time for final thoughts. Shelly, as our guest, why don't you come up with a rating system uh, so we can rate these sketches today? I guess uh, I'll have to go with how many trunkfuls of candy and bottle caps. How many trunkfuls of candy and bottle caps? I think that's a good one. I think, I think that's so a good too. one. Yeah. Um, uh, do you, do you want to start? And we will start by rating the uh, Murder Fist Dollmaker sketch. All right. I'll give the Murder Fist Dollmaker sketch a uh, full tractor trailer. Oh, filled wow. with candy and bottle caps. All right. It's a whole lot. It's a whole lot. That is Just, a lot of candy and bottle caps. Moving on cross country. A nightmare of epic proportions at the bank, <laughs> I think. Oh. All right, Layla, what do you think? I would have to agree. I mean, I'm I'm trying to think of you know, with the this, tractor trailer. With the tractor or? trailer, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Amount of bottle because that's that's more bottle caps than Kenny had in What his own era car. of tractor trailer are we talking? Like from the fifties or like like a modern tractor trailer? It's like a big ass, like scary. How many wheels are on these tractor trailers? Yeah. How many, how many farm laborers were displaced by your tractor trailer? (laughs) (laughs) That's a whole different rating scale. This is getting there. That's the socioeconomic consequences of the rating scales here on Sketch Nerd. I apologize. (laughs) I'm sorry. All right, EK, uh, what's your, um, What's your rating for Dollmaker? I'm going to give it a Geoprism's trunks worth of rare Toblerones and Mexican Coke bottle caps because that stuff is so exquisite and so precious that you don't need a modern commercial tractor trailer, I don't think, to really just get how valuable and how good that is. You need a motorcade. No, I'm saying I think you could put like you it could it could just be a little geoprism hatchback. That's all you need. Oh, oh, yeah. You're basically driving around with the holy grail. Because the contents are so good. They're so good. So good. I do love many Toblerones. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I uh I think I'm gonna go ahead and give it a a ventriloquist's trunk 
full of candy and bottle caps oh, that because one. that's yet yeah, that's right that's where the doll would go twist mm-hmm. yes the doll sleeps in a tiny casket did you not pay attention to the sketch? this doll but other creepy <laughs> she dolls said it twice other yeah. creepy dolls could sleep in a ventriloquist's <laughs> trunk all right so now uh rating dr steve brule and i'll i'll go ahead and go first for this one i am actually only going to give it a few handfuls of the bottle caps candy uh, that's that's, that's all it's candy. getting from me. Wow. Yeah, that's right. I'm 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 wow. I'm being fairly harsh. I'm sorry, Layla. I just I just didn't care for it too much. It's okay. It's yeah. a character sketch. Yeah. That's and that's both that's both low in quality of candy and an amount of candy. Isn't it though? Isn't bottle it? cap candy. It's Oof. like a a lesser version of a sweet tarts, but they're still edible. That's a very low that's bar a low too. Bar. It's like I can put this in my mouth. And, and it not won't die. Kill me, yes. <laughs> so, EK, what do you think? What would you give this one? Uh, you know, I have a lot of trouble separating out this particular sketch from just how much I love Steve Brule generally. So, I'm going to be cautious here. I don't think this is the best Steve Brule I've, ske- I've seen. And so, I'm going to say 85 bags, like Costco bags, though. I'm going to be very clear about that, of like Sour Patch Kids. I think those would all fit comfortably in like the trunk of a like probably like a an accord or something like that. <laughs> nice uh mid-range yeah. economy car. You know, it's not I've seen better cars and candy, but those are still they'll, they'll still get you there every time. Very reliable. They get the job done. <laughs> you know? So I don't think any of the sketches I've ever brought to the show have gotten a crazy rating because they're usually character sketches. (laughs) People have mixed feelings about them. And I would say I brought this one because of its strangeness and its uniqueness. It's definitely not like the strongest sketch I've ever seen. So I would give it a solid trunk full of bottle caps and uh, and candy. Okay. Yeah. I You know, I would say I would give it a trunk full of candy and bottle caps, but the trunk belongs to a, 1993 Volkswagen Jetta that's currently sitting at my my dad's farm, just kind of. I don't think there's any wheels the left ground. on that Volkswagen Jetta. <laughs> and, but you know, a solid trunk full of candy. It's just kind of in a weird place. <laughs> is it is it your old Jetta? And did you pick this sketch because all along you happen to have a trunk full of candy and <laughs> I would be lying if I said there weren't several cars just kind of around. I grew up on a farm in Pennsylvania. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> you could also be like a Fast and Furious person. I get it. It happens. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for another episode of Sketch Nerds. Uh, special thanks to our guest, Shelly, for being a guest on today's show. Where can our listeners find you online if indeed you want to be found? Oh, that's a great question. Um, Instagram is my primary social media platform these days. <laughs> uh, you can find me um, at Shelly G Sets. Uh, so that's like my personal stuff. Um, and that's Shelly spelled C-H-E-L-I-E for all you listening. Um, and then uh, check out Brick Penguin. Um, we're on Facebook, uh, Instagram, YouTube, and some other stuff, probably. Twitter, yeah. All right. Listeners, please like, share, and subscribe. If you have a sketch you're interested in us breaking down, please send it to us. We would love to do that. You can find out more about Sketch Nerds and Bad Medicine at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds, where you can also find links to the sketches that we discussed today. 
You can find this podcast and previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts. For uh, Shelley Setzer, Elizabeth E.K. Kemp, and Leila Drizzi, I'm Seth Alcorn. Thanks for listening to Sketch Nerds. This episode was produced by Isaiah Hedden and recorded in Washington, D.C. The closing music tracks were provided by SoundtrackForEverything.com. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act, Fair Use Exemption, for criticism and commentary. The Sketch Nerds podcast is brought to you by the sketch comedy group Bad Medicine, DC's best sketch comedy about the worst of humanity. For showtimes, videos, and funny t-shirts, please visit badmedicinecomedy.com.